Welcome back to the Christian Soldier Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Spurbeck. So glad that you're able to join us once again for another episode here at the Christian Soldier Podcast, where we focus on issues that pertain to fighting the fight of faith and uh, looking at some issues that we face and how do we respond to them? How do we answer the questions of those that have these uh, particular questions? And so we've been dealing with Calvinism the last several weeks, and uh, there's going to be five parts to this. So we are on the uh, the fourth one here. Uh, we've talked about the total depravity of man. We've talked about the uh, unconditional election. Uh, we've talked about the limited atonement. Uh, now uh, we're going to be looking at the eye of the tulip model, the five points of Calvinism, which is irresistible grace. Irresistible grace, and the and there's a lot that goes into this. There's a lot of, um, to be honest, the theological gobbledygook that goes into presenting this and. As, as a lot of Calvinism, there's a lot of double-talking around different verses, and so, uh, but we're going to be—I'm just going to give you the, the basic understanding of this, is that the—they uh, believe that the irresistible grace of God is that the grace that God bestows in salvation uh, towards the elect—okay, remember the limited atonement, the one we just talked about last week—is that Jesus only died for those who were chosen to be saved, the elect, and that this grace that is bestowed upon them that even though they may live a time in their life that uh, they have, they resist and live in sin, uh, that eventually the grace of God will overpower them and they will come to Christ. So basically, man doesn't have a choice in it. If you are the elect, you will eventually come to God. God will overpower your will, and that the grace you that he bestows upon you, you cannot resist it through the circumstances and through his sovereignty. So if you really believe Calvinism and believe the entire all the entrappings that go with it, is that we have no choice in salvation. God has chosen to save us. We don't know why. We haven't done anything. By the way, salvation is not by anything that we have done, but it is by the grace. So they take the grace of God and the uh, the view of their sovereignty of God, combine them. Therefore, since God knows all and sees all, and he has chosen in his sovereignties those that who will be saved. And by the way, I'm not saying God is not sovereign. He most certainly is. However, the Bible clearly teaches that man has a choice in the matter that we can resist the call of God. We can resist the grace of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit and God, the Father and God, the Son, they have bring the call out to mankind to be saved, but man can resist that call. But Calvinism teaches man cannot resist and that uh, the Holy Spirit does a renewing work in them before salvation and renews them, making them spiritually alive so that they respond to the uh, the call of God, the grace of God in salvation. Uh, however, we know that the renewing of the Spirit doesn't happen until someone is saved. The Bible clearly teaches that the indwelling of the Spirit does not take place until salvation, until we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we receive Christ. So that's also a doctrinal difference. We're not going to focus on that. But we hear that and we say, well, so man doesn't really have a choice. That's why soul winning, you don't find that in Calvinism, because it's not up to us. It's up to God. And God has already chosen, so we we just need to figure out whether we're one of the elect or not. And uh, and that only those that respond to the call of salvation are the elect. So, to be honest, if you are a hyper-Calvinist, okay, they call that hyper-Calvinist, then you don't believe in soul winning, you don't believe in anything, you just uh, teach the Bible and help Christians grow, and and those that come, they come. And those that uh, receive, the, receive Christ are the ones that are the elect. And even though there are some that maybe uh, did profess to be saved, 
some of them aren't because they're not the elect, though they want to be the elect. They're not. God has not chosen them. So it really it just it goes against everything that the Bible teaches, everything that Jesus taught in regards to the gospel. If that was the case, why did Jesus even teach? Then those uh, the call that he placed out there. So if, yes, if you look at the call that Peter that he made to Peter and to Andrew, that was an irresistible call. They couldn't resist it. They could have said no, but they, they couldn't resist it. So what about the rich young ruler when he called him to sell all he had and give it to the poor and follow him, but he turned away? I guess he wasn't one of the elect. So why would Jesus even do that? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 5 for just a couple of minutes here uh, and read some verses about the grace of God. Romans five fifteen through 21 says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Salvation's a free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So we see that by God's grace, Jesus Christ came and suffered and bled and died on the cross. Verse 16 says, And not as it was by one that sinned, that was Adam, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, the sin of Adam. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. That's what Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's the sin of Adam in the garden. So even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And something that you see in this passage of Scripture is repeated over and over again is the free gift. The free gift. Now, I don't know about you, I think we all agree that if we're given a gift, we are free to reject that gift. Um... I don't think any of us like to reject gifts at Christmas time, uh, but you know, no one can force us to take a gift, and so that's another aspect of it that we can look at is that so God is presenting us with a free gift, but we have, but uh, it's resist that it's it's a gift that we cannot resist. It's a gift that we must accept because of His sovereignty, and we don't know that He's exercising His sovereignty over us, but we're just going to. It was by His design and by His uh, power that we are making that decision. So we're not really making a free choice. We are making a choice that is irresistible. And that goes against everything that we see in the Bible. Uh, that goes against everything that we observe, that God very clearly gave Adam and Eve a choice. But we talk about the irresistible grace. And we say, well, they say, Calvin and say, well, God, well, God does give man free choice, but just not in certain matters. So if man doesn't have a free choice of the irresistible grace, then why did Adam sin? If God is really in control of us, then why did Adam sin? You can't, and that, they don't have an answer for that. Well, God gave them choice in that matter, but he doesn't give them choices in other matters. But it just creates a theological conundrum where, okay, if we believe that, then God is responsible for all the violence in the world. God is responsible for all of man's sin. God is responsible. And that makes, and that's why we say that if you really believe in Calvinism to its logical conclusion, not saying that people that believe in Calvinism believe this about God, but if you follow the system and the logic and all that they say makes sense to its logical conclusion, then it makes God a monster. It, God is not sovereign. God is sovereign, but a sovereign. Uh, it doesn't make God loving. It doesn't make God 
uh, uh, compassionate. It doesn't make God holy or just. It makes him the origin of all sin uh, in that it was in God's plan for Satan to rebel. It creates a very dangerous theological Pandora's box that is of the devil, that the devil wants to destroy man's confidence in God. That's been the case since the beginning of time, and that continues today. And Calvinism is one of those vehicles. Now, next week we're going to look at the perseverance of the saints, the last part of this five-part series. So this is part number four. And uh, just, th- I guess these two, the limited atonement and the irresistible grace of God, are two that b- probably bother me the most. Uh, all of it bothers me because it's not in the Bible. They they have so many verses that they have to redefine what grace is. They have to redefine what sovereignty is. They have to redefine what a free gift is. They have to redesign all of that and redefine it so to fit their theological system. And you can't do that with the Bible. We get our doctrine from the Bible. We don't fit the Bible to our doctrine. And so if we are honest and open and say, God, this is what your doctrine, what your Bible says, and what your word says, we will come to the right conclusion. But if we enforce a man-made logical system, which is exactly what Calvinism is, nothing more, nothing less, then we will have trouble in uh if we do that, then we are going to be bending the Bible to our theological system in order to make the theological system make sense. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Proper Bible hermeneutic and Bible exegesis is to just take the Bible at face value for what it says and let Scripture commentate on Scripture. And if you're honest about the Word of God and studying it and you look at Calvinism and you look at the Bible, you don't find Calvinism there. But uh, as as I said, we're going to finish this up in next week's episode. But I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Thank you so much. Give us some feedback. Uh, leave us a comment. If you're listening on sermonaudio.com, you can leave a comment there or maybe some thoughts or maybe how this encouraged you. You can also reach out to us at info uh, or by emailing us, info at TBC Killeen. That's TBC for Tabernacle Baptist Church, Killeen, K-I-L-L-E-E-N dot O-R-G. We'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, you can uh, call us up and uh, love to hear from you there as well. But if you have a topic that you'd like to hear next after the series is over, a question that you've had, or we're going to field some questions from listeners, uh, please let send it to us, and we would love to hear that. Hear that, and uh, love to do a, do maybe an episode, or maybe multiple episodes on certain of these questions, uh, because we all have questions. I welcome questions. I want questions because the purpose of this podcast is to be informative and help people understand more about the Word of God. Well, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to share us with your family members, co-workers, friends, or maybe even those that are caught up in this area of Calvinism, and uh, maybe this would be some an eye-opening thing for them. Please share it with them. But until next time, uh, please tune in next week to finish up this series, and we'll see you next time.